I have a whole bunch of calluses on my hands from doing pull-ups. I also calloused my brain through my life, through suffering, through not saying no, for not listening to the negative energy, the negative people. And when you continue to move forward through hell and move forward past your fears and your insecurities and continue to push through this wall, your brain becomes really callous and you're able to see things that most people can't even comprehend because you've always, you never ran from the fight. You ran to the fight. And that built a different kind of mindset that allowed me to deal with very, very tough things. That, my friends, is the great David Goggins. And this is part one of the best of 2017 edition of the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Happy holidays to all the good people out there. Welcome or welcome back to my podcast, the podcast where I do my best, my very best to have probing, meaningful conversations with the world's best and brightest across all categories of positive paradigm-breaking culture change. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for spreading the word on social media and at the dinner table with your nutty relatives. And welcome to my annual Best of Anthology series, where I feature excerpts from some of my favorite conversations of 2017. And as a broad lifestyle wellness podcast, I pride myself on trying to embrace and and contemplate a wide range of important subject matters, varying perspectives, opinions, and attitudes. And I feel like we accomplished that in 2017. When I look back, even I'm surprised at, uh, at what we've covered, what we've accomplished, the diversity of guests, how many interesting and unique people and perspectives we have entertained, the amazing lessons and tools that have been conveyed. It's really extraordinary. And these next two episodes are really just about excerpting some of those insights, basically a snapshot of the year, a refresher course, if you will, a little inspiration capsule to catapult you into January, informed and motivated and inspired to hopefully take your health and your well-being and your life to the next level. So if you've been with me all along, then this will hopefully help bring some of these insights back into the forefront of your consciousness as you contemplate your trajectory, your hopes, your dreams heading into the new year. And if you're brand new to the show, then this should provide a really excellent window into the world of my show, of my guests, and and should give you a sense of what this program is all about and and hopefully inspire you to go back and listen to the episodes in full or visit some of the shows you might have skipped over or missed uh, over the course of the year. And I've provided links to all the individual specific episodes in the show notes on the episode page for this episode, which you can find at richroll.com. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this 
heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Okay, I gotta tell you guys, 
it's really hard to choose amongst my babies. Not every guest could get featured in this anthology. And I love all my guests. Every single one of them has been an extraordinary gift. So this is an impossible task. It's a thankless task. Who do I include? Who gets left out? So suffice it to say that we just, we did the best that we could. And know that if I left out one of your favorite guests, I get it. It breaks my heart more than it breaks yours to leave anybody out. These are all my favorites. So with that being said, these next two shows should be considered, should be digested, should be approached as simply my love letter to all of you. It's my way of saying thank you. It's my way of saying I recognize you. I appreciate you. It's my way of saying I believe in positive change. I believe in you and I believe in the power that we all have to do better to be better, to be better servants to ourselves, to our families, to our loved ones, and to humanity, to quite literally step into our best, most authentic selves. So happy holidays, and let's just dive in. Our first excerpt, our first guest, is one of the most remarkable people I have ever met, David Goggins. Uh, This conversation with David is the most downloaded, most listened to, podcast I have ever created. And so it makes sense that it would go first in this pecking order. Uh, For those of you who are new, David is often referred to as the toughest athlete on the planet. He can be found on Twitter and Instagram at David Goggins. And he is the only member of the U.S. Armed Forces to complete SEAL training, including two hell weeks, plus the U.S. Army Ranger School, where he graduated as enlisted honor man, and Air Force Tactical Air Controller Training. Again, one of the most extraordinary people on planet Earth. His message is very powerful, very palpable. So with that being said, I give you my conversation with David Goggins. If you tell me what David's morning routine is, or if you tell me exactly what his training program is, or Mm -hmm. if you tell me exactly how he eats, then I can be David Goggins, or I can approximate. <laughs> I can approximate some right. aspect of. I can. I can bring a little bit of David Goggins into my life. Right. And for me, it's missing the most important thing. It's the mindset. Which is going back to mindset. It's like connecting with yourself. That's all what it is. is. It, what is it that that gets you out of bed? Like, how can you find that purpose? It's not about what David does in his no. morning routine or not what his workout all. is. It's about you and your relationship to yourself. You said it right. Period. Dot. It's not about what David's eating. It's not about what anybody's eating. Once you figure out who you are, hopefully you get one thing from me today. Change the way you are thinking. Don't put... But your, if you're... But if you... Listen, I'm just trying to get in the... in. I'm trying to get into the head of the guy who's sitting at his cubicle at work. Right. Who's hating his life, mm-hmm. right? And David's telling me, I got to change the way I think. Well, like, what the fuck do I do with that? Like, I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to actually do. Well, what you do... What you're supposed to do is everybody has issues. You're a human being. You're fucked up somewhere. And that somewhere or several somewheres is keeping you in that same spot. Like the spot is this. How do you lose 100 pounds? How do you run 100 miles? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you? Let me tell you how. Stop asking these fucking questions is how. Stop You're delaying the fucking process (laughs) by wasting my fucking time. How I did it, I wanted it. So my process was, as I'm asking questions, I'm running to lose weight. 
I'm figuring out how to do it. Most of us sit back and say, God, I wish I could do that. And we wait and we wait and we ask more questions and ask more questions and prolong. David, what kind of watch are you wearing? What kind of running exactly. shoes? It's like, they're not gonna go out and run until they got all the answers. I need, the gear. I need to know all this stuff. Right. Or who's, uh, you know, what is your approach to this thing? Right. Da, 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 da. And I look at you and I'm like, this guy wanted to do bad water. You know, a week later, he's running 100 miles on a track. You exactly. know, nothing about nothing. That's but exactly you just knew it. that you had you you had drive and you had a vision and you had passion and you went after it and you had not only did you not have the answers, you weren't even asking the questions yet. I don't care <laughs> because and, and this is the thing about it, like and that's what's so funny. You and that's why I get so turned off by people like that. I get it. You have to have knowledge to be great at something and to, to, to lose weight, to be a smart, you gotta have knowledge. Knowledge is power. But I'm gonna tell you right now, man, how much damn knowledge do you need? You can go on the internet right now and figure out how to drop five pounds tomorrow. Everything is right there at your service. If you want it, you will achieve it. But if you wanna waste time and figure out, ask all these fucking questions, I'm gonna give you the same answer. Stop asking the question and achieve what you want. If I asked a bunch of questions, I would still be trying to figure out how to do, run 100 miles. So many people tell me, I would love to run Badwater one day. Why the fuck haven't you done it? You told me that five years ago. Mm. I wonder, I had an idea to run Badwater. I did it in four months. <laughs> I qualified in four days and ran the damn race. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, had to lose 105 pounds in 60 days to get in and do it. I lost the weight and became a damn seal. I wanted to be a ranger at 41 years old. People go, what do you want to do next? I don't know. I've already done it. Because the second I thought about it, I researched it. I didn't ask questions. I achieved it. We waste tons of time not starting our journey for asking so many fucking questions on how to start the journey. Get an idea. Start walking and figure the shit out as you go. Vision quest. But David, you don't understand my life. Exactly. You know, I got, I got, you know, I work, I have to get up at five and I yep. work till nine and I got three kids and yep. I'm barely making ends meet. Like, it's cool that you can do that, but like, that's, you know, it's just not possible. What I love about that me. is people can come at me with all that crap all day long. When I say that right there to you, I was a full-time Navy SEAL. There's 24 hours in the day. I was doing ultra races and how I did it was I had to be at work at seven o'clock in the morning. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, I ran, and then I rode my bike to work. And I did the same thing, and I came home. If you want it, you will find time in your life to do it. If you don't want it, you will continue to do exactly what you're doing now, give me excuses. You're gonna make up every excuse on why you can't do it, and that's why I can't connect with you. That's why you hear the passion come out of me, and you mm -hmm. wanna say it's anger? No, because I know it can be done. And you're telling me all this shit on why it can't be done. And then what you do is, he's crazy. He's in a cat. No, you don't want it bad enough. If you want it bad enough, you will figure out how to make this shit happen. Are you willing to like entertain the possibility that you do have like some talent in doing this? Or is it all like you're chalking it all up to preparation of mindset? Well, like I said, if anybody's familiar with sickle cell, um, it's a blood disease that pretty much... Um, it's called sudden death syndrome. A lot of African-Americans who have it, they just yeah. pass out and die. So, you know, my VO2 max is horrible. My hematocrit and all this stuff is horrible. And also having the hole in your heart that 
the the size I had, it, it took away a lot of my. Yeah, that's the other thing, like you have ability. like you have like uh, you're operating with like only like twenty five percent of your capability. And, and right, that's what I'm trying to issues. tell people, right? And I was trying to tell people. Everybody thinks that they they want to believe, and I wish I was. After every race, I was either in a on a, in, in a wheelchair. Or whatever, because running with sickle cell is, is is just not the smartest thing to do. Those mm. those distances, at mile fifty of every hundred mile race, man, I was destroyed, and I just had to find. But the feeling of the next fifty miles I had to go, I, I learned a lot about David Goggins and in, in, in the will. It was always me against me. So no, I I I don't have any ability. See, this is the heart of the whole thing, though, because I think it's really important. Because if you are a genetic freak of nature, then it's very easy for somebody to shrug you off. Like, oh yeah, well he does it, but like, you know, he's who he, he's Dave Goggins. You right. know what I mean? Like normal people can't do that. And for you to always anchor it and bring it back to, look man, these are the challenges that I'm right. facing. I'm facing, I have to overcome more of these challenges right. than the average guy. Like I'm actually starting at a deficit right. with this. And I'm not gonna ever let anybody make themselves feel better by telling me that I was some genetic freak. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna make yourself feel better about that. You, I suffered, and I always say suffer because that's what I did. It was miserable. The races, every single race in Hell Week, in Buds, in Ranger School, I suffered tremendously. I was not, I should never have been able to do it, which is why I'm so proud of myself. I don't care what place I came in. I don't care I walked 105 miles of bad water. Mm-hmm. I'm. I did it. Mm-hmm. That was the journey. That was the mission. That was it's about. It's not about. Oh well, this guy's just a freak. If that makes you feel better, that's fine. No, you can do it off just a breath of air in the right mindset. That's the message. So you you watered down my message by putting me in a category of I'm crazy, I'm a freak, whatever. Well, all of those all of those arguments are comfortable arguments to allow people to stay stuck in whatever situation exactly. they're in. You know what I mean? Right. So it's more uncomfortable if they have to actually reckon and wrestle with the fact that right. you are like them. Just like know? them. And and no one people don't want to do that. Just like them. They don't like want to them. look in the mirror, right? And right. So tell me about the the mirror thing is a big thing with you, right? It's a huge thing for me. It's called the accountability mirror. So I talked about my childhood and if anybody thinks I'm some great person, listen to my childhood again. I had to change my thinking process and basically the accountability mirrors what did it. I started shaving my head and my face when I was 16 years old. And I realized when I started shaving my face and my head, I, you have a lot of time to look at your reflection. And for something sparked in me, I'm like, man, I, I'm a piece of crap. Like I ducked school, I ducked school, I barely am graduating. I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm all these things, man. And I had to really tell myself the truth. And so many people, when you say you're dumb, the first thing people say, oh no, you're not. If you're dumb, you're dumb. If you're fat, you're fat. But if you're not willing to tell yourself that, and everybody around you in your circle continues to give you this positive feedback, if you suck, you suck. Mm -hmm. If you tell yourself you suck, that is when you become great. Well, then you're, you're getting into the solution. That yeah. is what I'm talking about. So that accountability mirror was, I got to become, I got to get to the surface of who I'm not. And I held myself accountable. I lied to this person today. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm this. I'm that. And I tell myself, 
and I fixed these issues and fixed these issues. And that part was hard. It was hard to not be jealous of this person who had this and this and this. I had nothing. Nothing. It was hard to tell this person, yeah, I'm jealous of you. And I'm insecure. I'm a very insecure guy. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing. It was hard to look at all that. I'm, I'm not real smart. And I had, but I had to fix these issues. And the accountability mirror was, now I look at myself in the mirror and say, wow, you fixed these issues. Right. So that's a thing that you like consciously practice every day. Every day of my life. In the mirror. Every yeah. day of my life. Even now. So if I were to say some little white lie and I go to the mirror in the morning time, I shake my hands like, man, why the hell did you say that to that guy? And he would get a call from me and say, look, dude, I, 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 I lied. That's like, that's like 12 step, man. It's like doing your daily inventory right. and like making amends for your bullshit. That's it. You know what I mean? Cause you're only lying to yourself. So when you see like this, you know, we're in this cultural malaise right now where like every kid gets a participation trophy and like <laughs> yeah. we have to tell everyone that they're great. Even right. though, you know what I mean? It's all yep. about like feelings and everybody's a special snowflake and all right. of that. Like, you know, that must make you insane. It makes me more than insane. Uh-huh. It, it really, um, it's the destruction of this, co- of, of this country. And I love this country. I've, I've, I've fought hard for it. I will continue to fight for it and hopefully through mental toughness it takes mental toughness to change how you look at things and giving a person a trophy saying you're great when you're really not if i had that growing up there would be no david goggins Mm -hmm. zero there'd be no tough people Mm -hmm. none which is why the world is where it is today a bunch of weak uh, some weak people right there's a lot of weak people now right so let's wrap it up with this i mean if there's one if you can like distill uh you know everything that you're about into like kind of one core message that you want people to take away like what is it beyond what we've already talked about like what is it that's holding people back that's limiting them that is you know that's keeping them stuck and in their blind spot and how can you kind of speak to that to perhaps you know shake it loose a little bit and get people to think a little bit differently about how to proactively approach their lives the truth their truth the real truth about who they are as a person. And um, I think it all really starts there, the truth. And knowing that you may not be a courageous person, or you may not have this and that, but are you willing to um, find it within yourself to go through the very hard journey? A lot of people in this world have died 80, 90, 100 years old, and they lived a great life. They had a lot of things but a lot of people who have died never really started the true journey that whatever you believe in, God, or whatever you believe in, if you believe in nothing, I believe we're all here to start a journey. And that journey is fucking hard if you choose your real journey. Most of us, we decide to take a different journey in life. It's the journey of least resistance. And so what I challenge people to do is to realize that in themselves that yeah I have taken a lot of left turns and I should have stayed straight because why I wasn't good at something and it embarrassed me to not be good at something or I wasn't the smartest person or this or that whatever all these excuses are that we build up find the truth of who you are go back to the start of your journey and go down that path I guarantee you if you finish that journey and you don't fear and waver and, and, and go places that are very easy the other end of that journey, let me tell you, 
is a peaceful end. Next up is master spiritual teacher and celebrated Kundalini yoga wizard, Guru Singh. This is a man who has an incredible capacity, aptitude for fusing Eastern mysticism with Western pragmatism. It's very wise. It's a beautiful consciousness, one of the coolest people I've ever met. So without further ado, please enjoy Guru Singh. Ego is the glue that holds soul to body. So ego is an innocent mechanism through which you express life. The reason that ego has gotten such a bad rap is that ego has often, when life is very expressive, been also very exclusive or very greedy. But People like Jesus had a huge ego. People like the Buddha had a huge ego. People like the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa had a huge ego. Ego is what ego does. So anything that has created an impact on the planet is a massive ego. But it's a massive ego used for benevolent purposes as opposed to a massive ego used for personal reasons. Trying to wrap my head around that. Because ego my is like ego, e- and I know. I think you have to define ego. Like uh, right. are we talking about? No, no. The- redefine ego. Okay. Because ego, as I said, has gotten a bad reputation because it's been defined by people that were using their power, their human power, their personal power for personal reasons. But ego is not positive or negative. Ego is not good or bad. Ego is an innocent participant, a tool that can either be used as a tool of benevolence or a weapon of destruction or a weapon of of absorption, of, of limited and only personalized and exclusive absorption. But isn't it true that's, that just by virtue of like an over an over an enhanced ego is going to lead towards that inflated sense of self that that will almost make um <clears throat> you know those those negative uh actions that come with an overinflated ego yes. automatic right so not automatic but semi automatic <laughs> to use a weapons mechanism uh-huh. right the only thing that get, keeps you going in your extreme events is ego. Now, if you were only doing it to get known, there would be a problem in there. And it may even sap some of your energy so that you weren't able to perform as well. But ego is a performance mechanism that enables you, because what if you were not known by anybody? What if you didn't do extreme things publicly, but just did them very privately, and nobody knew that you did them? You wouldn't be able to have a podcast that had, what, hundreds of thousands of people listening, or millions of people that are listening, whatever the number is, it doesn't really matter, but it's a big number, which means that you wouldn't be able to get these messages out. 
which means that you wouldn't be able to do the work that you do. That's an ego that allows you to do that. But it's a brand of ego, not a force of ego. There's an equal force of ego that could be on another brand. The brand of I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 me, 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 me. And you would also attract a big audience, as many of them do, but it wouldn't get the same effect. And the seeds of destruction are, are, are baked into that. Right. So I, I, I declare, not the only one that's ever declared it, but I also declare that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. But absolute power does not corrupt absolutely. And power does not necessarily have to corrupt. Just like in a wind, the way you set your sail is going to determine how you make your way through the wind. Yes, big gusts of wind will tend to knock you over. But if you set your sail at a certain way, your ego can ride those winds for very beneficial reasons. And the practical, real-world way to properly set that sail is what? Like, what are the practices? The Hippocratic Oath, cause no harm. Hmm? And for that, you need to have a higher awareness. So as you're, as you're learning to do this, you're going to cause a lot of harm. You're going to bump into a lot of people. You're going to mess things up. But as your awareness is raising, you become more intuitive. You become prescripted so that you know the consequence of your action before you take action. Like in the 12-step program. You become more aware by, by making friends with the people that you've hurt, by asking for forgiveness for the things that you've done. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. And in doing so, you can use ego to become well-known for the purpose of getting people to know the information of recovery, to get people to know the information of discovery, to get people to know the information of extreme discovery, right? Endurance kinds of discovery. It's about intention and the motivations that Beautiful. fuel it, right? Yes. And, yes. and, and this journey, this practice, I kind of want to, we got to start to like wind this down a little bit. I know. <laughs> we, we can go on and on. I We're know. good. Will We're you good. come back and talk to me more? Cause yeah, I, could for do, sure. I could like go all night. We'll do another one. Um, I just, I want to leave people with, with, uh, you know, at least a tool or two that they can take away from this and begin to incorporate into their life. So beyond find a Kundalini, uh, you know, yoga practice, in your vicinity or you know go to your website and watch your videos and read your writings and i'm going to talk about that in a second um, and of course what you referenced earlier which is developing a habit of waking up very early in the morning and, and the precious kind of um <clears throat> beautiful uh like flowers that can bloom from commitment to that practice it's something that i feel strongly about and it's difficult yes but once you get used to it, I mean, I know that like my most creative time, my writing, everything comes in those precious hours before everyone else is awake. So maybe speak about that a little bit. 
Well, you asked for uh, in your in your lead up to this, you asked for some practicals. Right. Um, one thing that I want listeners to remember is Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is a reaction that is equal and opposite. And so if you live your life in that premise, that for everything that is happening to you, there's a way out, there's a way through, there's a solution. Because if it's a problem, there's a solution. If it's a solution, watch out for the problem. So if you're living your, if you're governing your life by the laws of physics, which apply to our lives, because our lives are physical, in addition to mental and emotional and all and spiritual, then you will realize that no matter what's happening, there's an alternative. And within, even if you go down into the quantum of physics, there's a way of reconstructing the moment, deconstructing and reconstructing the moment, which simply means always have hope. Always have hope. Always have hope. Then go on from there. What are the ways in which I can help to instill hope? Every single day, go out onto the ground and get in your bare feet, on unpainted pavement, or on the grass or dirt, and just stand there for at least three minutes and get in touch with your earth, magnetic field, gravitational field, etc. Just get really grounded. Very practical. Three minutes. And then do some stretching. So three practical things. One mental one very physical, and one very exertive. The mental is, know that there's an equal and opposite in every situation, a way out of every challenge, a way through every block. Physical, get grounded every morning. And an exertion, stretch. Stretch into your body glove. There's not just kundalini classes, there's exercise classes, there's your, there's your trainings, there's so many different trainings. Learn to do stretching for another 10 minutes of your morning because the way in which your nerves and muscles and tendons and bones and fascia interface inside of your physical body, I'm not gonna try to go into the technical details, but just trust me, I'm not saying to you because you know, but I'm saying to the listeners, just get into your body, get fully inside your body. And if you can handle it, take a cold water shower after your warm water shower uh -huh. to really force the blood down into the deep glands and organs to flush them out because you used warm water to wash the skin. Now use cold water to force, it constricts the skin, forces the blood down inside the body to flush out the inner part of your body. And just end your... Uh, five minute hot water shower with a three to five minute cold water shower. It'll be cold only for the first few seconds and then your body will get used to it. So cold water therapy as well. So these are some practicals that- Very practical and very doable. Very doable. It's very simple, very doable Very stuff. doable. 
One of my most popular conversations of 2017 was with my friend Darren O'Lean, who you can find on Twitter at Super Life Living. Darren returned to the podcast for a second conversation so that we could delve deep into next level nutrition insights that he's gleaned from his many unbelievably extraordinary adventures as an exotic superfoods hunter and environmental activist. Uh, Darren is a friend. He's an inspiration to me personally. This is a guy who really walks his talk. He's a thriving embodiment of what it means to truly own and take responsibility for your health and for your life and for the planet that we collectively enjoy. So with that being said, here's Darren. What's the number one thing? People, you have to take responsibility for yourself and your life and your health, period. Regardless of what we're even talking about. Like you can't, you can't just throw it to some doctor and you can't just kind of divorce yourself in listening to advice. You have to be educated. This is your body. This is it. This is your vehicle. This is your deal. If you don't think that that's an important thing to, to have something that's out here and open your mouth and let it inside your body. And if you're not looking at that as something really important, then I don't know that that's a, that's a big freaking deal. And that's a big dis disconnect because that's what it's all about, man. It's out here in space and we need to bring it inside. So we open our mouth and the fact that we're just thinking these Twinkies and this fast food and, and all this stuff is, is, oh, we're fine. No, it, I mean, come on. It's yeah. Every action has a, has a reaction. And in the same way that every you know decision that you make and behavior that you engage in e either moves you in a positive direction or a negative direction, it is exactly. the same with every food that you put in your mouth. It's either Absolutely. making you healthier or sicker. And the idea that it's static or that it doesn't <laughs> matter or, you know, whatever you put in, it's all the same because exactly. your body breaks it down in calories or calories is nonsense. It's nonsense. And, and, and that's where I'm like, you know, even before I was full on into this stuff and, and I, I never, never made sense to me to skimp on food, right? Pay, pay the money, pay it because here's the thing. It's, you're going to pay for it. You're paying for it eventually, you, no matter what. The debt collector's coming. And, you know, luckily I got into this early because of challenges in my own life and, 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 uh, and I'm formed that have, I have a great, I've got a fantastic addictive personality that luckily I turned and went this direction and now I'm obsessed, but not obsessed in the, that's all I think about. I'm obsessed to the point where I want my body to function so that I can live so that if you and I want to go to the beach and pull a log or jump in the ocean or run up a mountain, I can do it mm -hmm. okay, without kind of dreading the last half of my life and, and, uh, barely kind of doing the things and barely playing with my kids. And like, that's no, I'm not interested yeah. in that. And I, I'm not interested in fads. I, I just, I just don't like, I'm actually anti-fad because the reality is that, um, in order to make any lasting change and just for me being here and you being where you're at, we didn't just 
turn on a light switch and we were eating this way. It was a slow burn. It was a slow education and it's not sexy to market it because everyone wants the quick fix and I get it. I can put a concoction together that will light your ass up and make you freaking climb a mountain. But what I'm really interested in is inspiring people to go, listen, what you're doing, the choice you're making today for your breakfast or your meal or your every little choice, I want to inspire millions of people to be excited that today I'm sitting in my chair of my past choices and I'm proud of it. And I want to to, I want people to be stoked that, hey, you know what? You're choosing today and maybe tomorrow you don't have everything you want and maybe you still have aches and pains and everything. But I promise you, if you decide to do this every day, that a, a year is going to blink by and your life is going to be sustainably different and you're not going to be yanked around by weird marketing and weird fads and yo-yoed around and be more shamed than you possibly can imagine. I hate that shit. I just, I, 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 I just, I don't like it. It's not real. It never works. So I know it's not sexy. I know it's hard to market because people want, but yes, of course you have wins along the way and you feel better and all that stuff. But I think the core of what you're saying really is that when you do, you know, decide to bear that mantle and take responsibility for your own health, that puts you in a position to no longer be necessarily reactive to these fads as they arise and just latch on to whatever the latest thing is and ping pong around, right? Because exactly. then you become your own sort of, uh, you know, regulation device to make a conscious non-reactive decision as to what serves you and what doesn't. And the only way that you can really make those decisions, you know, in your best interest and as consciously as possible is to do your own research and to use yourself as your own personal lab. Exactly. Well, it, it reminds me of what you're saying too, is if I'm someone that's honoring myself and and following a a day-to-day plan of how to what do I really know how to take care of myself I'm not really worried about that person when a fad comes down the road because they're kind of solid and they're gaining strength inside themselves and physically and stuff what I'm concerned about is when people are not taking care of themselves well and they have suffered and they've put on the weight and they have chronic disease and they're they're in pain and all that stuff and then this information comes out they're desperate so then they grab onto it and then they're yanked around and then there's a bunch of other consequences to it Dubbed one of the 100 greatest drummers of all time by Rolling Stone, Travis Barker, who you can find on Twitter, at Travis Barker, is a guy who rose from blue-collar roots to become one of the world's most talented, most prolific, and hard-working rock stars, a multi-hyphenate most well-known as a member of the multi-platinum, Grammy-nominated punk rock band Blink-182. This was an absolutely riveting, incredible conversation with a remarkable human being. And you're going to want to hear it in full if you missed it the first time around. But here's a slice. Well, can we talk about the, the plane crash? Yeah, of course. Bit? You're okay of with course. that? I mean, 
you know, it's well documented and everything like that, but you know, it's quite, you know, it was quite the tragic encounter. I just, I can't imagine, you know, what that must've been like trying to, you know, overcome that, but maybe, you know, walk us through exactly what happened. Um, so it was, it was one of those days where I, I, we had a show it was for like T-Mobile and they would pay us big money to go and play these shows. And it was in South Carolina. And I remember before we left, I was like, I don't really need to go. It's summer. And, and my, my, my baby's mama, uh, Shana at the time, we weren't together, but she was like, don't go then. Like, if you don't have to go, if you don't need the money, it's like, why are you doing it? And I was like, I'm doing it because I love playing with Adam. And I think Adam was going through the same thing. Like, ah, we don't have to go, but it was just one of those things. It's booked. Let's honor what we committed to. So we flew out to South Carolina. Wasn't, uh, wasn't Shanna going to come with you? Yeah, Shanna was going to come. My kids were bawling, man. It was like, it was the weirdest thing. My kids were bawling. My little girl, Alabama, was saying, She's freaking the whole time. She's never done this. She's crying, saying the roof's gonna come off. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Bama? And and she's a baby at the time. And she's just, the kids are crying, not normal, like weird, you know? That is so um, trippy. And yeah, like, like I said, my gut, this is one of the big examples of where I was like, my gut told me not to go. So I ended up going and she was gonna go with us, but she's like, nah, I shouldn't go just in case, God forbid something was to happen, we'd both be in that plane. So we go and uh, the flight out there is cool. I take my assistant, little Chris, and uh, and our, our we just had a big homie named Che who was like our good friend. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was playing college football. I, basically Chris and I were like, dude, instead of hiring security for now, we should just take Che with us. Che's gonna be security yeah. for now on. Cause <laughs> it's, it's good having friends on tour with you too. Uh -huh. And Che's big and you know, intimidating. Che's never been on a private plane. Uh, you know, we go out there on a G4, everything's cool. We play our show. And then after the show, um, we had a flight booked for tomorrow. Everything was, everything was set up, but, uh, AM's like, yo, I want to get back tonight. Like, you know, what are we going to do in South Carolina? You know? And then Chris had just had his son, Sebastian, who's my godson. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, man, we should just go home, Trav. Um, and I was like, well, we have a flight book tomorrow. Don't trip. Let's just chill here, you guys. But it's like majority rules anywhere we go. If, if I get outvoted, I'm, I'm rolling with the punches, mm -hmm. you know? And everyone the was people like- people skills. Yeah. So I took one for the team. I said, okay, whatever, man. You guys, let's book the flight, whatever. So booking flights like this, usually like the, the flight out there, it's like I speak to a manager and I say, who's the pilot? What's the plane? What's the history? Is everything cool? Oh wow! So I, you're getting into oh, it. Oh, I'm really, I'm uh, terrified of flying. So, I, and ironically enough, the the flight out there was cake, a piece of cake, man. We we knew who the pilot was. He was super cool. He knew I was a little bit weird about flying, you know. Um, great flight though. On the way back, you got to think, man. We just got off stage. It's 10 o'clock, and we make the phone call, get us a plane. So the plane is booked in an hour's time. No, there's no one dotting the I's or crossing the T's. It's like, yo, you guys want a plane? I'm gonna do everything I can do to get this mm -hmm. plane there. So the plane gets there and- So uh, in, implying that like shortcuts were made on the checklist or- well, I know my checklist wasn't done, you know, yeah. cause Gus, who was our tour manager for Blink, you know, 
usually there was like a, a you know there's a little checklist that goes and i know that checklist wasn't going to happen it was an hour's time and lv's like dude it's not going to be the greatest plane but i'll get it once again rolling with the punches mm -hmm. you know whatever for the team so we get there we pull up to the airport and it's like private airport and there's all these jets and then there's this fucking leer over all by itself and i was like oh cold as ice tell me that is not our plane and sure enough the driver drives up to that plane and i'm just looking at it and I was, you know bad bad feeling man bad feeling my gut's saying no it to the point where i actually call my dad who at the time now i say i love you every time i speak to him he's like 75 but growing up he's a vietnam vet he's tough man tough tough dad you know and uh I know he loved me, but we wouldn't say I love you or be gushy, you know? Yeah. It was like more tough love. Not, not a hugger. Yeah, for, <laughs> for him and I. So I call him and I'm like, I'm bawling at this point. And I say, Dad, like I have a really bad feeling. Like you were crying before you even got on the yeah. plane. I'm crying and my dad's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Trav? <laughs> Why are you crying? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I have a horrible feeling. If something happens, pal, just do whatever you can to make sure the kids are cool because I have a horrible feeling. And he's like, well, you're gonna be fine, you know? And I take a picture of the plane, I send it to like, I think I send it to my pops, I send it to my boy Rob, that's in the transplants with me. Weird enough, Chris does the same thing. I don't know that he does this, but he sends a, a picture of him in front of the plane to his wife. Um, we get in the flight, there's like a really young pilot and a, it kind of like eased off some of the pressure because she was really young. And I was like, wow, you look really young. I was like, you fly the plane? She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like getting my hours up or whatever, you know, she's basically, you know, she's with like an OG captain that's, yeah. you know, flying with her, you know, teaching her. So we get in there and she's basically like, okay, well, there's no room for a stewardess in this plane, so I'll be up in the cockpit. If you guys need anything, you know, just come knock on the door, whatever. So we get in the flight and I'm fucking baked, man. I've smoked so much weed and I've taken so many pills. It's my normal concoction to get on the flight, you know, especially this one, I'm going heavy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we get on, everyone's like, we're, there's actually a video, man. I have the video of it. AM. Back in the day, there was these flip cams. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. They were like the coolest thing yeah, before every phone had one. Uh -huh. And he's on the flight and he's like, what do you know about a, a drummer, a DJ and a PJ? Like, you know, like kind of like, kind of flexing a little bit. We're on a private jet, whatever, having, trying to have fun. And Chris is like, you know, what's up, Chris, whatever. We're just goofing off, like, you know, thinking we're just living in the lap of luxury on a private flight home. Everyone else is, I'm scared. To death already you know so chris falls asleep che falls asleep we're still on the runway and i'm like wide awake man i'm just sitting there adam sleeping we go up and down the runway we're going the wrong way and they turn around wrong way on the runway yeah like so right out they're of like the sorry yeah we're uh sorry we, we went down the wrong runway and then i was like oh my gosh man what the hell you know and then uh and then I, I'm kind of like dozing off. And then finally, you know, you feel like the engine start up again. And we go to take off and our, uh, our, our landing gear, like the tire, basically our tires explode. 
sounds like gunshots, you know? Not very many people will know what it sounds like when your tires explode on your plane. So it sounded like someone shooting at the plane. Multiple tires. Yeah. Like it'd be <laughs> like if one went out. But yeah. Like it sounded like someone was, you know, like throwing rounds, you know? So I hear like these, these loud bangs and then the plane is like skidding on the runway. So we have no tires. So now it's landing gear against the runway. Mm-hmm. And then smoke just starts filling the cabin and fire immediately because the friction from right. the landing gear on the runway. And then we go up in the air. And then... Ah, oh, you have liftoff. Yeah. And then we, we lift off. So Are you we're hearing it, from the captain from the cockpit at all? No, I'm just screaming because I, I feel like I know something's wrong. Once the bang, bang happened, the plane kind of got out of control. And then we, we were up in the air. So I'm screaming, man. And it's just black in the in in the plane and smoke everywhere and then uh the plane is basically going up high and then it's dipping down and then going up and then dipping down and uh and then it started it started getting lower and hitting the the cement going up and down hitting yeah bouncing off the cement and i'm screaming man i'm screaming like but obviously they have their hands full in the cockpit who knows what's going on and then we go and by this time there's fire everywhere and I, I'm looking at fire, no longer smoke, it's fire. And um, we swoop up, I think we swoop up and down like five or six times. And then the last time we go really high in the air, it almost felt like we were almost like going vertical. And then all of a sudden the plane swoops down and we hit an embankment and we stop and I'm somehow alive. You know, every time I'm just bracing myself cause I'm looking out the window, I'm wide awake. I'm numb, I'm on so many painkillers and whatever else. So I'm seeing us swoop down so I can kind of like brace myself every time we hit. Finally we hit and I'm on fire. You know, there's- Like literally. I'm on fire, yeah. Like my my hands are on fire. Um, I'm trying to move forward to see if I can get to Chris or Che. There's four of you in the cabin? Yeah. And then my my whole, everything catches fire. My, My shirt catches fire. And then I turn to my left and AM's knocked out and I grab him and I shake him. He wakes up. I can't get to Chris or Che, it's just a wall of fire. I can't see anything. So I open I open the emergency exit, which I always, I forgot to say, but I always sit next to an emergency exit in any plane. I sit, I, I open the, I kick open the emergency exit, I jump out and I land in the jet. So I land in, in the jet, which, if anyone knows like about behind, like planes. Like behind the, like in the jet stream behind the engine. Yeah, which is filled with fuel. Right. So my whole body catches fire. I jump into uh, a basically a pool of jet fuel. Um, my whole body catches fire. AM jumps out over the jet. He's not on fire. And he's basically on the phone. I'm running and he's screaming. He's on the phone with our manager going, our plane crashed. He's like, crying, screaming, he's like, Trav's on fire. So I'm just running, and at this time, the embankment was right next to a freeway. So I have cars that are watching me run on fire, and I'm just stripping off my clothes. My gut tells me to strip off my clothes. I don't know what else to do. I don't- You're in the middle of the road this, at this point, and cars yeah. are coming in both directions? Yeah, the cars are like facing us, and there's no one on our side, because everyone sees the plane there. Uh-huh. And um, 
and I don't realize my, my skin is soaked in jet fuel, so it doesn't matter what I take off. So I get to the point where I'm butt naked and I'm just running, but my whole body's on fire. And then I just hear one guy, man, like, I don't even, I don't even know where he was. I know he's off to the left of me that just says, like what you learn in elementary school, like stop, drop and roll. Drop and roll, yeah. And sure enough, man. Like yelling I, from a car? Or? Yeah, wow. yelling from a car. And I, I just lay down and I start rolling and then Adam comes out, DJ AM, and he, he gets his shirt and he starts patting me out. And that's how he um, got burnt a little bit. He got a little burn on his arm and on his neck. But basically, after a couple minutes, he pats me out. And then as he pats me out, the plane explodes. And you were the, you're the only two guys who made it out. Yeah. Yeah, we're the only two guys. Um, I mean, later we found out. We found out Chris and Che, my assistant and my security, they weren't wearing their seatbelts, so they, they died immediately of head trauma. Probably the first couple times the plane did the, the crazy, mm-hmm. you know, up and down. Um, found out, unfortunately, the, the pilots um, were burnt. Um, and, uh, and we were the only two survivors. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Okay, next up is with Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams, at Dr. Rachel Abrams on Instagram. 
She's amazing. Rachel is a board-certified primary care family practice physician. She's an integrative health expert and an author with over two decades of experience in preventive and comprehensive care medicine. She's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Stanford. She received her medical degree from UC San Francisco and her master's degree in holistic health and medical sciences from Berkeley. She's been voted the best doctor in Santa Cruz County every year from 2010 to 2016. And she's authored a whole slew of books, but the focus of this conversation was on her latest offering, BodyWise, Discovering Your Body's Intelligence for Lifelong Health and Healing. I love this conversation. She's amazing. So please enjoy this little snippet with Dr. Abrams. You know, I would say that for me personally, in my in making decisions in my life and this is what i try to teach and body wise how to use how to use what your body is speaking to you and that could be a sensation or that could be a physical experience it could be painful or it could be pleasurable but the way that that is actually trying to guide your decision making cuz in a way it's the expression of your unconscious it's it's your uh, inner wisdom speaking to you. And mm-hmm. if you learn to interpret that language, you know, I said before that I think that if you really want to be successful in your, you could be successful in your field, ignoring your body. But if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a groundbreaker, if you want to be truly inspirational, you need to be connected to your body because from there you get leadership qualities, you get insights, you get uh, you know, inspiration for the people around you as a manager, as a leader, as, you know, as a business person, whatever you do in your life. And I think that the body intelligence is like the secret weapon. I really do mm-hmm. in the best way, mm-hmm. right. That allows you to both live a life that gives you joy and vitality, um, but also allows you to do work in the world in a much bigger way. Um, and when you meet those people who are doing that work, you know, not the people with huge egos who are maybe successful, but you meet them and go, Lord have mercy, you know, great well, you work. Know, you I... know it when you walk into a room, you can <laughs> yeah. tell when somebody's got it dialed in, yeah. like they have that, like that, that self-awareness, you yes. know, to understand who they are. And, and there's like a grounded power in that, that, that defies language. You just, you can sense it. Right. Right. And one of the things you talk about in the book is, is kind of starting learning how to read these signals, like understanding that words like gut instinct and what my heart is telling me actually have great meaning. It's real. Yeah, that the, the, these are real things, that this isn't just woo-woo, new age, Santa Cruz speak, right? <laughs> and, and I know that you wrote this book predominantly for women, but I feel like women already are halfway there, if not most of the way there, in yes. terms of, of having that language or having that aptitude for listening to their bodies in a way that men really aren't. Like men are much more shut down. Like I almost feel like- yeah. This is this is really as much a book for men, even though it's really voiced to women. It's men are the ones who really need to hear this more. I and agree. I think, you know, culturally, we're kind of pushed further away from that, and it's less okay or less comfortable for a guy to talk about how he's feeling or what his heart is telling him mm-hmm. than it is for a woman. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, and and to be honest, I see men in my practice and boys, and I see babies, and I see older people. It's it's a typical family practice. I see everybody. Um, and I love my male patients and I regret actually not writing this book for men and women. It was a conscious decision because it gets complex trying to talk about the body and women's physical experience of being embodied in our culture, Mm -hmm. um, and around trauma and around sexuality It's a little easier to speak uh, to women directly, but for sure, the concept really important for men, absolutely basic. 
Um, and I know uh, in the current uh, political climate and in the last year, there's been a lot of talk about uh, men and women and patriarchal values and, um, you know, what are we going to do about this? Uh, there's been a bit more of a shakeup. And I think that it's important in my opinion, to keep in mind that, yeah, it's true that being male gets you some privilege, but it also buys you this whole system of oppression of men, um, a big piece of which is shutting down your body, mm -hmm. right? That being, being a machine for making money, being a machine for making a name for yourself and all these other things that really is about ignoring your body intelligence and mm -hmm. not listening to those voices within. And I think that our way out is for all of us to be doing that. And, you know, I talk about this explicitly in the book, but I feel like once you're really actually connected to and listening to your body and you get a sense of, uh, you know, being in touch with your own nature, that it is a natural extension to realize how connected you are to other people and how connected you are to the earth. Mm -hmm. um, because there really is no separation. It's a crazy idea um, that we're separate from the earth we live on, right? Everything we are comes from the earth and everything we're exposed to from a health point of view, all the toxins and the pesticides, the things people, you know, clean their houses with and, um, you know, the food we eat all deeply connect to our bodies, right? The, the microbiome, the bacterial pop population of the earth that our food is grown in influences our own microbiome inside of our own guts, which is such a fundamental part of health. I don't know if you've talked about this on podcast. Yeah, of course. Before, Do you know, uh, Robin Shutcan? Yeah. yeah. So I had her on. Yeah. She's wonderful. I just yeah. love her. Yeah. And you can't separate them. We are intimately and everything we do to the earth, whether it's, you know, tearing down trees and, you know, creating, uh, uh, a loss of oxygen and global warming, or it's the toxins that we're using, it all impacts us directly, directly. And if you look at the emerging illnesses, allergy, autoimmune, learning disorders, uh, neurologic disease, cancer, it's all related to our environment. It now, really is. Now you're just crazy talking. Now I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good crazy. <laughs> yeah. Kim Chambers. Can we talk about Kim Chambers? Oh my God, how inspiring, how amazing. At Kimberly Swims on Twitter. Kim is one of the most accomplished record-setting marathon open water swimmers in the world. Her story is incredibly inspiring and I love everything about this conversation. So please enjoy this little tiny nugget from my conversation with Kim Chambers. But underneath all of this for you, is the the current of joy like joy yeah. is fueling this for you it's yes. not like you're not coming into this with this hardened like i'm gonna prove that i can do this coming from some kind of unhealthy place like right. you're just you just love it right like you're yeah. this is what you're supposed to be doing yeah right this and when you're doing it not only do you feel alive you're completely in your in your bliss yes and i feel filled with purpose because all of these swims i do for charity um, and another great learning that I, I got from Vito and night train swimmers because we do swims around the world all for charity and, and that's what I've incorporated into my solo swims. And so it's, it's really making these swims bigger than about yourself. Um, sure, there is, you're the one that gets the accolades, and, um, but I'm the first to say that, you know, I didn't do it alone and I share mm -hmm. all of these achievements with my crew. Mm -hmm. um, and even the people that, you know, someone at the club or someone here in the city would just say, like, I read that you're going to go do the swim. Like, good luck. Like, 
just the fact that people are thinking about it. And then, you know, I have a GPS tracker on the boat and people can track me real time on a Google map. Mm -hmm. And I've had my colleagues at work on their big monitors like track me and and that helps You put them up on Strava? No, I you don't know that. <laughs> You're like, I think you have the KOM for the Farallon We're like, swim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to challenge that anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. So it's just the fact that people are interested as well in a sport that they might not understand, that they might not connect with. Like, I never used to understand why people climbed mountains, but now I understand why people climb mountains. And, um, and that's because... Their journeys, they, you are pushing the limits of your physical and mental self. And I think also many of us are afraid to do that because a lot of times it's scary and a lot of times it's uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. And human nature is to avoid things that could potentially hurt us, that could make us cold, could make, you know, make us uncomfortable. When you, when you, and we all have fears, but when you really push through those fears, um, and again, human nature is to, mm-hmm. is to retreat from fear. When you push through, there is the sense of self. There is a real, in my case at least, that's where the treasure lies. The treasure in life lies right on the other side of where you're most fearful. Super powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only do we, sort of recoil from the uncomfortable, we're sort of haplessly chasing these emotions that you're experiencing, joy, mm-hmm. gratitude, giving back through the charity, mm-hmm. that sense of feeling alive. We're sort of encouraged to seek those out through material possessions yes. or social status. Yes. And that's what is encouraged in our culture and yes. the messages that we're sort of you know, met with on every billboard and every television commercial and right. every magazine, right? Right. And the truth lies in shucking that aside. Yes. And doing something that scares you. Yeah. Whatever absolutely. that is. And it doesn't have to be, you know, <laughs> swimming the English Channel. <laughs> no. You know, no. and it didn't start that way for you either. It started yeah. with you dipping your toe into aquatic park that first time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even getting in that pool, I was most afraid of people looking at my scars. I mean, so silly, but but we all have fears and they're different for all of us. But I can guarantee that when you pick a fear, you know, we all have many fears, pick a fear and decide to challenge it face on and you get to the other side. I, I guarantee you will have a transformative experience that will serve you for the rest of your life. Um, because again, life is not smooth sailing. And I feel like through these experiences, I've been able to equip myself with um, skills and lessons and how to deal with certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just dealing with people. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I walk around every day with a heart that's full and I just want to give back. And I, I want everybody to feel it's just a little bit of what I get to feel in Nori Day. I mean, I feel spoiled, spoiled mm-hmm. rotten, because I am, am in this world that is right where I am supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and then to be able to share it with people. And I love, you know, I love talking to little girls. And, 
you know, you just see these sparks of possibility light up in their head and, you know, just knowing that we're capable of doing far more than we think we can. Mm -hmm. And it's just about deciding that you're going to tackle something that might be uncomfortable, that might be a bit scary. We can't have a best of episode without featuring Julie, right? AKA Srimati, my wife. This is an amazing uh, excerpt from Podcast 276, which was entitled Be Devotional, Not Emotional. An extraordinary conversation all about how to best bridge the emotional landmines of our expanding cultural divide. It's basically about how to channel your inner Jedi warrior. So please enjoy Julie Pyatt. Yeah, I mean, the the greatest human quality is empathy. You know, it's our ability to feel empathy for another. And we all as humans, we all need, desire, want the same things. It's not different because you live in a different country or your skin is a different color or your hair is a different color. I mean, this is so elementary, like that you would think that, you know, someone would be uh, more desirable than another because of the color of their skin. Uh, or their sexual preference. So we're really getting caught up in things that, you know, consciousness is just celebrating everything just because it exists at all. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, again, like, you know, this moment is required for us to remember our divinity, because if it wasn't this intense, we would just still be going on doing whatever it is that, you know, we do Mm -hmm. as a collective. So if somebody's listening to this and they're struggling with these ideas or they're finding themselves reactive or uh, challenged in their ability to, you know, remain composed um, in light of, you know, the fear mongering and everything that's going on, like what is the path to what is the path to uh, creating more mastery of self around uh, you know, these ideas. Well, I did, you know, a recent podcast on it. The title was, um, you know, transforming frustration into knowing, right? When you, again, you feel into the energy of frustration. If any, anybody's been following the political, um, you know, play, uh, it, it can just pull you into mass frustration, right? Because you can't understand how these things are actually happening, you know, in, in, in our country around the world. Um, and, uh, again, it goes back to spiritual connection. It's all about spiritual connection, because if you understand that this earth and this life is for our evolution, it's for our unfoldment. It's so we can transform many energies that have been very out of balance. There's many energies that are happening on this planet that are not high vibrating violence, murder, slavery, it's been going on all along. And the only difference is it's like someone came in and turned a huge light on and the cockroaches are scurrying left and right all over the place. This stuff has existed on the planet. I mean, make no mistake. It has been going on for thousands of years. So we kind of had it all sort of in a place where it wasn't really seen or you didn't really look at things that way. And now I think that you know, we're really understanding that we don't really live in a world that we thought we lived in. Mm -hmm. So now what, you know, what is our choice? Our choice is to develop that spiritual connection, which gives you the knowing that this consciousness is playing out exactly the way that it is supposed to. If this is a new idea to somebody though, the idea of cultivating spiritual connection, 
how does one begin that? Well, I would say, first of all, it begins with your diet. So I would look at what you're eating, immediately cut out processed foods, consider adopting a plant-based diet, get rich in my cookbook, The Plant Power Way. Um, <laughs> get, no, book. but it's true. I mean, you asked me why, and I'm uh -huh. just sharing. Uh, you know, I just spent the last two years developing a cheese book, This Cheese is Nuts, all with plant-based cheeses. The second thing is, and, you know, really super important, get yourself on the mat, get yourself to a yoga class. And, you know, I know movement is really good, but it's not the same. I'm talking about really, really finding a connection to your spiritual nature. And this is, a, it is beyond religions, has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with the one breath that is breathing all of us. So yoga, just getting into the asana, starting to breathe, starting to practice pranayama, any type of yoga, find it in your local town, wherever you live. Um, follow Guru Singh on Facebook. He streams live his uh, teachings and classings. They are genius. He's funny. He's uplifting. You will be uh, you will, you will leave with a much more positive framework and some tools, um, to start to loosen the frustration, um, feel into your body where there's hardness, where you're holding, where you're blocking and consciously find a way to let go of those ideas, thoughts, feelings, traumas. We have to commit to heal ourselves. We have to really look at what's happened in our life and really um, commit to ourselves to release the trauma. Um, I do healing techniques, you know, on my podcast all the time. You can listen to Divine Throughline. It's all free. And uh, I am sort of going, leading everybody on a process of transformation through what I offer on that show. Um, so it, this is a, this is a spiritual journey, folks. Uh, it, this is earth school. So we are spiritual beings having a human experience and everything that is happening is for us, for our awakening, for our remembrance into that, which we are. And I am no more spiritual than any other being on this planet. And everyone is potentially divine potentially because you have to exercise the free will and, and make the move. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just going to happen just because you're, you exist. So, um, I think that, that that's a really important point. We all, we all tend to believe that we're exercising free will every day, all day long in our lives. And I think we're, uh, not as conscious as we should be to how our behaviors, our actions, our thoughts, our words are sort of embedded and programmed based on our life history, our buttons that were installed as young people, our past traumas, and all of these things that create cycles and patterns that become deep grooves that can almost be predictors of how we're going to behave or react in a given situation um, at the you know at the at the cost of free will, right? So this path towards sort of mastery and getting on the mat and getting conscious and doing that like deep interior work and the meditation and the mindfulness is a journey towards greater self-will so that you're not reactive, that you can create a new groove and change the narrative, right? Like right now there's a narrative going on culturally and there's the narrative of self. There's the narrative of the story that you tell yourself about who you are. And chances are that's a false story, right? So, so it's a call to action to pick apart that story 
to examine it, to get to a point where you can identify what is true and what is not true about the story of yourself and start to piece together a new story, a story of um, a story that can that can lead you towards greater agency, towards mastery and towards that that journey of finding a purposeful, meaningful life. Right. I mean, and I mean, ultimately, you know, the, those stories, any of those stories that we tell ourselves are all illusion. They're, they're all, they're all not really the truth. The truth is, is that we are all consciousness, which is pure love. You know, that is, that is the, there, and that really isn't a story. It's a state of being, you know, it's a state of awareness. Um, uh, but what I would say is, um, things are even getting weirder. Okay. So it's, it's not even, it's almost like gone to another level now. And the other thing that we have to continually ask ourselves is where are the thoughts we are thinking coming from? And well, that's what I was sort of getting at with free will, right? Like we, we think we're creating those thoughts, but but all right, continue. No, but I'm not saying they're created from your past trauma that you had this lifetime. I'm saying that they're being impulsed and they're being pulsed through our human grid, through like an energetic grid around the planet. So literally all this obsession with the electronics, with the, with the AI, with, uh, you know, uh, programs, TV programs, um, you know, Twitter, like all the social media, everything. I mean, we just experienced you know, we have this thing flying around, this fake news thing flying around. I mean, the the whole paradigm is starting to crumble in many different ways. So I want to just propose that just because a thought enters your mind, that thought might not even be coming from you, okay? It might be coming from some, some other force, some other vibration that is directing at you. Um, it could be from somebody you're, you're walking next to. It could be... Um, you know, residual from some sort of media that you're addicted to. So again, all these are impulses. Energy is something and everything that's happening is affecting our experience. So when I say thoughts are things, like I'm like, it's, it's up to us to understand that the mind is a great tool that can be used for many things like coming up with programs and structures and getting places on time and and these type of things, but your real mind is in your heart. Your heart knows and your body knows. And we have to switch the place where we're um, originating from, okay, out of the mind and place it in the heart, get grounded in the heart. What the health, what the health, oh my God, what the health. What an unbelievable impact that extraordinary documentary had on culture in 2017. Unbelievable. Not a day goes by where I don't encounter somebody, meet somebody who said they were inspired to adopt a vegan plant-based lifestyle as a result of watching that movie. It's just amazing. And I had the good fortune of sitting down with the filmmakers, Kip Anderson and Keegan Kuhn, the dynamic duo behind not only What the Health, but also Cowspiracy. I think this was our third conversation. And we conducted it right on the precipice of this unbelievable movie being released. So please enjoy this excerpt of my conversation with Kip and Keegan, the documentary filmmakers behind What the Hell. Yeah, I mean, the, the film is based on science. And that's, I think, the, the foundation is that you have to look at real scientific information. And what, what is science actually telling us when it comes to nutrition? And then when you look at that science, you also have to look at, well, 
is it real science and who is it being funded by? Because you can look at a study and you can say, well, hey, red meat is directly caused to coronary heart disease. Like it's 100%, everybody knows that. But then you can find another study that says complete opposite. And so people will say, oh, well, you know, that's a mute point then. It's like, well, who funded that original study? Mm-hmm. And who funded the, the pro-meat study? And it's like, well, was it a, was it, you know, Cattlemen Association? Was it a meat board? So we looked at that. That was a big, that's the, the foundation is you have to look at real science and real research. Um, but you can, I mean, there's, <laughs> I think anybody logically can understand that if you put foods that your body wasn't designed for into your body, it's not going to function at its optimal. And so that's part of the film that we looked at is the anatomy of human body. Are we, are we true omnivores? Are we carnivores? Are we really herbivores? And that's actually one of the things that was kind of surprising while making the film was that, you know, I'm, I'm vegan. And so like, I want, I want it all to fit into my narrative of like, mm-hmm. we're, we're supposed to be hundred percent plant eaters. But something that we found is that actually, well, human beings, we can get away with eating some animal products without detrimental effects. And it's like, that's not something you want to hear as a hardcore vegan. But the truth is, is that, yeah, maybe five to 10%, you can get away with it. But the impacts that that has on the environment, the impacts that it has on people, the impacts that it has clearly on the animals is huge. And is that really worth it? But then, you know, looking again, going to the anatomy and what, what are we really supposed to eat? Well, we're not really herbivores. We actually had a whole section in the film where we had this whole animation about how we're herbivores and it shows our anatomy. Mm-hmm. But then we realized that, well, Actually, we're not herbivores, we're frugivores. We fit every characteristic of a frugivore. Which so is, explain what a frugivore is. So a frugivore is, is an animal that gets 90% or more of its nutrition from plants, particularly high carbohydrate plants. So is fru- that similar to us? What's the difference between that and like a starchivore? Like a, what McDougal would call like a starchivore? It's, it's actually really, really close. So what, you look at the, the great apes, they're all frugivores. So, you know, gorillas, uh, chimpanzees, orangutans, they're, they're frugivores. And human beings being a great ape, we've 100% fit into it. So it's something we go into the film you know, more in depth. Uh, but I think it's really, this, that's a great place to start, but I think that we have to, and what we do in the film is we start from the standard American diet and we just start to pick it apart and looking at all the different aspects. Uh, a big thing right now that's talked about in health and nutrition is sugar. Sugar's like mm-hmm. the, the, the big devil. You know, it a few years ago it was wheat, and I think wheat is still kind of like the bad guy, but sugar's the big thing. And so we, we look at that and we, we ask the question, yeah, what, what role does sugar play in things like heart disease and cancer and diabetes? And the, the responses we got were actually really pretty shocking for both Kip and I. Yeah, it's super interesting. And sorry, I, don't want, I want Kip, I want to hear what you have to say on this, but uh, right now it's all about sugar. You know, and which kind of contravenes. This is an ancillary topic, but it sort of contravenes a more holistic approach. Like it's it's not any one thing, right? We have to look at these things in the context of the matrix of everything, right? Uh, but right now, you know, sugar's on everybody's minds, and you know, sugar is the culprit. Sugar, sugar is the devil. Certainly, processed sugar is not a good thing. And when you see the the sort of explosion of processed foods with sugar in them, and you know, high fructose corn syrup, all that all that kind of stuff. There's 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 no question that these things are making us sick. So what's interesting is this sort of contrarian perspective that you get from, say, Dr. Neil Bernard, that contravenes, you know, what you would hear from Gary Taubes, right? It's Gary Taubes coming from it's all about sugar to Neil saying, "Don't worry about sugar; it's the animal products." And as a consumer watching this, it's very easy to get 
confused. You know, there's doubt. Like these people are saying different things. They both seem smart. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'll just keep doing the same thing. So how do you parse fact from fiction? And why do you come down on the side of someone like Neil Bernard as opposed to Gary Taubes? Dr. Davis, Garth Davis, did you did you have you had him uh-huh. on? Yeah, 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 that was really good actually. Um, he he sums it up in this one part right after in the film after Neil Barnard talks about how diabetes is actually not caused by sugar; it's caused by saturated fat. And then King, you might remember the, the way he says it: he says sugar doesn't cause plaque, sugar doesn't you know it just kind of done goes doesn't down the list. It's not good for you. Doesn't increase inflammation. Yeah, um, it doesn't like lock your. Uh, uh, the way he said it, I can't remember. He did, he did this laundry list of what sugar doesn't do. It's not good. No one said it's good. But like Cowspiracy, we we address fracking. We address other things that are happening. And as we address this, we compare it to eating animal, for, for this film, eating animal products. What's fracking and Cowspiracy? Um, the comparison of fracking to animal agriculture, there's no comparison of how much water is consumed are uh, taken from it and polluted. The same thing happens in this film. Yes, sugar is bad, but how bad is it compared to meat and dairy? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when you have these doctors who say sugar is bad, yes, but there's there's again there's just no comparison to to saturated fat, especially from animal proteins and animal products. Yeah, and again we just we kept coming back to the science. It had to be based on hard science. Um, and so, yeah, you look at the studies and it's like, well, what are the studies actually saying? And the research is saying, and, and you say, it's really actually pretty interesting because even groups like the American Diabetes Association will say, if you look at their site and you look at, you dig a little bit, they'll say, oh yeah, high carbohydrate diet actually doesn't cause diabetes. They encourage all of their you know, supporters and anyone with diabetes to be careful of your sugar intake because clearly if you have diabetes, you should be concerned about your sugar intake, but it's not what causes diabetes. Mm-hmm. Causes diabetes is your insulin system not working because it's clogged up with fat. And so well, what's what's got more fat in it? You know, sugar is what, it's like four calories per gram versus seven calories per gram for, mm-hmm. for uh, fat. So it's really, it's looking at the impacts of, of fat, but, but it goes again, even beyond just that because it's not just these isolated things, not just saturated fat, it's not just cholesterol, it's not just you know carcinogens, it's all of these things put together. And it's it's how all those things work in our bodies that is the real issue. Mm-hmm. And also too, as you said, where does how can you tell fact from fiction? A good example is on the cover of Time, I think now is two years ago, it was a stick of butter. And I can't remember the title, but something butter is back. Butter is back. And so that started a huge craze that, you know, bullet coffee, all this. And we go, we look, go back, go back, go back. Who funded this? Who did the studies? Go back. And it was National Dairy Council. National Dairy Council. Mm -hmm. The, The whole study, like, I mean, that's like that whole. You know, saturated fat isn't bad for you. It's based on basically two studies. Anybody who's listened to the Garth Davis interview will will know about well, this. Well, presume presume people yeah. haven't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's based on two studies, and they're they're funded by the National Dairy Council. So it's like they have a, a vested interest in protecting their industry. So they're going to fund studies that are can say that no, 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 our product isn't bad for you. Uh, and the leading pl- source of saturated fat is from dairy products, not from meat. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a combination of a couple things. First of all, my recollection is, isn't that those studies said that saturated fat is good for you? They just cast doubt on how bad it might be for you. 
And then journalists looking for you know appetizing headlines will take that and translate it into you know fat is your new best friend and then there's books being written about it and you know the average consumer who doesn't have time to drill down to the truth of all this stuff is just going to see the headline modify their behavior accordingly and this is not helping anybody you know it's a page out of the merchants of doubt it's it's yeah. directly out of the playbook from big tobacco exactly if you can make people uh, sort of confused enough then you have them exactly where you want them. And we have a, and that exactly where the film leads into uh, Dr. Gregor talking about that, about the tobacco industry. Doubt is our product, and that was right in there, uh, right in their their. Yeah, and their memos. I mean, they really it's it's about yeah, confuse the public enough where they don't know what to do, and they just continue as business as normal. Mm -hmm. And so, what what the health the film does is it it lays all this information out easily. So and it's all again you can go back. We're going to have on our site all the original studies so you can source everything you can see where all this information is because we really just want this is just a starting point you know so you learn you get some of you get your appetite for understanding nutrition and then you can go deeper I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. All right, how you guys doing? Are you hanging in there? Come on, it's so good, right? Well, get excited because next up, I got Leo Babauta at Zen underscore habits on Twitter. I love this guy. Leo is somebody who I had never met in person prior to the podcast, but somebody who has informed my path, has positively influenced my personal transformation for many years and continues to do so to this day. He's a beautiful guy, just an authentic example of the powerful ideals that he espouses, uh, and it was personally a thrill to be able to sit down with him and talk about mindfulness and meditation and yoga and minimalism. So without further ado, here is me and Leo Babauta. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about how you, um, how you convey these ideas in your own household. You got six kids. Some of them are grown and out of the house. You got all ages. You're married. You're very much living in the world. You're not like a single guy living in, you know, Ted Kaczynski style in the <laughs> woods. Like you're, you know, you got real life obligations and pressures. Um, so how do you instill these notions into your children? What is your, you know, I, I want to talk about education and parenting yeah. and, and how you kind of navigate all of that because it's super interesting. Um, I, I think I, I was listening to a podcast where the two of you, you and your wife talked about, uh, veganism with your kids. And we have a similar philosophy is that they're on their own journey. So with veganism, we, we went vegan, like in the middle of my kid's journey. So I'm uh -huh. still in the beginning, but like they're, they're already meat eaters. So and what was the impetus for you? to go vegan. I wish I could say it was you because that would be so cool. By the way, I'm not fishing for that, but like, no, I'm just genuinely <laughs> no, interested I just, in what it I was. I feel like 
saying that right now, but it's not true. Um, it was just a bunch of things. I, I went into it as a vegetarian to become healthier. Um, I was overweight. And mm-hmm. then I started reading about like educating myself and of course looking for inspiration. And then, then you learn, uh, as everyone knows, you learn about animal wo- uh, welfare and the horrible stuff that we do to, to turn them into food. And it's just like, I, you know, once you are awake to that, it's really hard to turn it off. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a, it was a progress. Uh, it was a progression. Um, but you can apply the minimalism calculus to it, right? Cause yeah. you can say, well, is this serving me? Right. Or is this not serving me? Is it what necessary? Are, what are the, yeah. What are the implications of making this choice on yeah. my life and the life of others? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just the, one of the things was like, oh, I thought I needed this stuff. Like I needed cheese or whatever. And then that was like my 99%. I was 99% vegan. That was my 1%. I would eat cheese once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then I like let go of it. And I realized I didn't need it all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't miss it at all. Although I'm looking forward to your wife's. Uh, the cheese book. Cheese book. Yeah. yeah. Vegan cheese. I actually, I just had some nut based vegan cheese and it was delicious. Mm. But I haven't missed it at all. Um, and so, yeah, it's like that letting go. Like I think I need this as an attachment. I thought I needed meat and then I let go of it and it's like, oh, I don't need it anymore. And for health reasons too, like I often thought like you need this stuff to be healthy. And I, I, it turns out like you can, I know it's a big surprise to you, but you can actually be completely healthy as a vegan. <laughs> and like, if you, if you can be completely healthy as a vegan, then what's the justification for putting the animals through that kind of suffering? It's like your pleasure basically. Um, and so like, I just, yeah, I started to, turn that spotlight on that just like I did with with minimalism and mm-hmm. it was like actually it's not necessary and I'm just going to go with what is necessary for my health and it's plants mm-hmm. so that's that's that was my journey and of course it was actually supported by other influences of people on me and then two friends who we met in London who were vegan um, one of them runs a, a vegan uh, site now called plantshift.com it's a little plug there mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they came and visited us and we spent um a week in San Francisco, taking them around to different vegan restaurants. And that was an influence on us was just having this vegan experience with two people who are very strongly believing in veganism. And yeah, when, when you see that influence that you have on each other, like I said, we create each other, mm-hmm. we co-create each other and they created us who we are today because of that influence. Oh, that's really it's cool. amazing, right? It's cool. We have, we are all influencing each other all the time even sometimes without knowing it. And we're just creating the people that we are with this huge network, this mesh of influences. And it's all one consciousness. <laughs> exactly. No, no, don't, don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, that's my belief is that we're yeah. all, that we're all con- constantly co-creating each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wouldn't be the people we are without each other. And we're completely enmeshed in this, network of human hearts yeah no there's no question about it yeah now now more so than ever because of podcasts and blogs yeah. and all you know everything that the internet avails us of we're so intertwined so but yeah that, that was my vegan right journey. so you did that and then you talked a little bit about kind of your basic philosophy with your kids is similar to ours like oh, yeah. allowing them their own journey and then and then where does the 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 homeschooling and the unschooling yeah come into that again influenced by my by someone it was my sister who was um, homeschooling her kids and and our kids were um, in school. One of them was being punished by his teachers because he was reading in class, <laughs> and, like a novel, and he was supposed to be doing something that he already understood and like was was bored with already. 
And it was like, that school is not meeting our kids' needs. And not, not, of course, there are amazing teachers in the world. I'm not saying all teachers are like that, but that it was just like, oh, we, we can actually meet his needs probably better. And my wife decided to like quit her job and uh, unschool our kids. Actually, it was homeschooling at first, and then we went along the unschooling route a couple of years later. Explain unschooling for people that might not be familiar yeah. with what that is. It's a version of homeschooling, so you do it at home. But uh, homeschooling often is doing school in the house. Just like, okay, we're doing reading, we're doing math, we're doing history, and often you're following a curriculum with textbooks and you're doing exactly the same activity, but just at home, which is a great experience. I'm not knocking that at all. But unschooling is like, what if we wiped this entire board clear and started from a clean slate? And like, what would it be if we didn't school our kids? And it's just like taking a, a new look at teaching like education philosophy and like do our kids need to learn x by this grade and x by this grade and y by this grade and so forth and like who came up with that curriculum <laughs> some like you know someone with a degree obviously but like in the education system who doesn't know my kid at all and they've like decided the perfect route for them to to do what to become ready for college to become ready for a day job and so it's like a factory that it puts and again i don't want to make people who are putting their kids through school uh, feel bad about what they're doing because everyone is being the best parent that they can. But for us, it was like, we didn't quite, we, once you start with a blank slate, you throw out those goals. Like actually what we want to do is make them become good human beings. And how do we do that? And one of the things, one of the problems with school, and it's going to sound like school bashing, is it's a um, top-down approach. Like the teacher has the wisdom, they teach you. And unschooling is about you becoming your own teacher and deciding what your curriculum is. What are you excited about? Like you and I are doing every single day. And it's actually preparing them to be like passionate creators and human beings and learner, lifelong learners because you know no one is telling us what to learn these days, but we keep learning. And that's exactly what kids do naturally. And if we can just get out of their way and not like mm -hmm. force them to learn certain things in certain ways, they'll learn naturally. And they'll learn what's important to them and they'll learn how to motivate themselves to learn if like they want to build a teepee or something like that. Like, how do you do that? Well, I got to go figure it out. And then you learn to be motivated and you learn to find resources and support and all of the things that we do as adults. That's what kids would naturally do if you get out of their way. So that's what unschooling is. The executive director of the Good Food Institute and founding partner of New Crop Capital Bruce Friedrich at Bruce G. Friedrich, F-R-I-E-D-R-I-C-H, is a man who has devoted his entire life to reforming animal agriculture and innovating the future of food and food systems. This conversation is about that very subject, food system innovation, how technology, urgency, and popular demand are rapidly converging to create healthy, sustainable, and compassionate solutions to help solve our current food health and environmental crises. So please enjoy this snippet of my conversation with Bruce Friedrich. So let's talk about clean meat. Uh, at the uh, vanguard of this super fascinating movement is your friend Uma Valetti at Memphis Meats, who's doing some truly extraordinary work uh, in, in, in kind of finding technological advances for this problem. Uh, I'm sure you listened to Sam Harris's conversation with Uma, which was absolutely fascinating. Uh, so before we even get into that, maybe explain in a little bit more in depth 
what you mean by clean meat. It's it's sort of you know anecdotally known as lab grown meat. And I know language is important. You're going to avoid that term, but that's sort of colloquially like what people understand it to be. And and I think there's going to be a, a learning curve here in getting people acclimated to understand exactly what this is. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me start by saying the reason that we don't call it lab meat is the same reason that we don't call Cheerios lab Cheerios or Budweiser, lab Budweiser. Like every processed food starts in a food lab. So technically every processed food is created in a lab. Uh, But at scale, this will be created in a factory just like every other you know, food that starts in a food lab is created in a factory. And what it will look like is it will look like a meat brewery. So you picture a beer brewery, um, those vats, instead of creating beer, they will be creating meat. And that has some huge advantages over the current system. Um, it's three times more efficient than chicken, which is the most efficient meat, causes 95% less climate change, doesn't include all of the extra stages of production. It's exponentially cleaner, doesn't require antibiotics. I mean, according to the Centers for Disease Control, there are tens of millions of cases of meat contamination, foodborne illness. There are more than 100,000 hospitalizations. There are thousands of deaths every single year. All of that goes away because the process is cleaner. It's also clean meat as sort of a nod to clean energy, the environmental benefits. So just like clean energy is more environmentally sustainable energy, clean meat is more environmentally sustainable meat. And the two sort of pioneers of this movement, um, one is this guy, Mark Post, who is a former uh, medical school professor at Harvard Medical School. Um, And now he's a tissue engineer. He's a PhD in tissue engineering and an MD. And now he's teaching tissue engineering um, at Maastricht University in the Netherlands, which is one of the top um, medical schools in Europe. Um, And previously, he was, I think, about a decade at Harvard Medical School. The other one is also um, a medical doctor, Dr. Valetti, who was on Sam Harris's podcast, which I highly recommend. Really just a fascinating conversation. And Valetti is a a, uh, cardiologist. He was trained at the Mayo Clinic. He was a professor of medicine at the University of Minnesota. He was the president of both the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association, the Twin Cities chapter. Like, you know, these guys are brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, they could be doing anything. And they have put their entire lives into creating a more sustainable, healthier, healthier alternative that is exactly the same thing. So if you're eating a clean meat chicken nugget or you're eating a clean meat hamburger or a clean meat pork chop, whatever, it is literally the exact same thing. But instead of putting feed into an animal and causing the animal's cells to grow and wasting most of the inputs, instead, you're just taking similar nutrients. You're bathing the cells. You're causing them to multiply and grow. But instead of in an animal, you're doing it in a meat fermenter. Um, And it takes away a lot of the problems of the meat industry. So essentially, the process is uh, extracting cells from live animals uh, that are sort of healthy, raised in a very healthy way, uh, and then culturing them. Correct in these well, in these brewery vats. Like I'm trying to understand kind of the the logistical process of how this whole thing works. A sesame seed biopsy can feed the world. So you don't need like you know a herd of cattle for the clean meat industry. You need a sesame seed biopsy from one cow. Um, What does that mean, a sesame seed biopsy? So basically you take a a teeny little bit of meat, 
You know? Oh, a sesame seed size. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I got you. Okay. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, so you need a biopsy from the animal the size of a sesame seed, mm-hmm. and that can create literally billions of pounds of meat. So it's not like you need a herd of donor animals. You just need a tiny little bit. Um, and you can certainly take the biopsy from a live animal, or you can take the biopsy from not a live animal. But it's a very little bit of meat um, that you then use standard cell you know, tissue engineering techniques. So it's common in med- all aspects of this are common in medicine. Um, the problem is nobody's going to haggle over the price of a liver, you know, or an ear or mm-hmm. whatever. So we need to we need to uh, improve the processes uh, so that we can get the cost down. But the cost is down more than ninety nine percent over just two and a half years. So right, the first it started burger, off as like three thousand dollars a burger or something like that. Well, it was three hundred thousand oh, dollars for a quarter pound bur- for a quarter pound burger. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Um, so some shake in the uh, UAE could could order it, and that was about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a, so it was $1.2 million for the first pound, uh-huh. um, and it was $9,000 a pound uh, last week. And I mean, you think about the first iPhone, the first iPhone R&D cost, I think, $2.4 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and iPhones are a lot less expensive than that. Sequencing the human genome, like the cost of that came down, I think, a million times over the course of a decade. Um, so these processes are so much more efficient. It's inconceivable to me that we won't get to a place where because the processes are so much more efficient um, as we get economies of scale from you know where they are now which is just a couple people you know not that many labs working on this not that many companies working on this uh, as it scales up the price is going to come down it will be cost competitive I mean Dr. Valetti and Dr. Post think that they will be cost competitive with expensive meat in about four years and cost competitive with cheap meat in about a decade mm-hmm. and you know that's that requires that the venture capital and the investments are there but we think they will be Imagine yourself running an ultra marathon. Suddenly you're surrounded by a brush fire. This brush fire closes in on you and your body is consumed in flames to the point where survival seems impossible. And yet somehow you're able to live, but your body is burned over the vast majority of your exposed skin. And yet rather than wilt and become a victim, you end up leveraging this experience to become a beacon of inspiration and female empowerment to millions of people across the world. This is the amazing, powerful story of Taria Pitt, at Taria Pitt on Twitter. I love this conversation. She is one of the most impressive, unbelievable people I have ever met. And this is a conversation all about facing life head on, about taking risks, about facing your fears and believing in yourself. So without further ado, please enjoy this snippet with Taria Pitt. So in 2011, I was running an ultra marathon. So an ultra, probably your listeners would know what an mm-hmm. ultra is. But it's, yeah, it's very, well explained. It's larger than a marathon. So a marathon is 42 kilometers. Um, and so I was a quarter of the way through the ultra marathon. How old were you at the time? I was 24. Mm-hmm. And was this your first ultra? That your... was my first ultra marathon, ah, yeah. But yeah. had you run marathons? Like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So... And this was like in the bush, right? Well, I mean, it's it's been portrayed in the media as being like an outback desert ultramarathon. It was kind of like that. Like it was a pretty remote area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a quarter of the way through the ultramarathon. There was no phone reception um, on, a, on a trail. And I heard what I thought were trucks coming down the highway because I knew that the next checkpoint was really close to the highway. So I, I actually started running a little bit faster because I just wanted to get to the checkpoint, mm-hmm. have water, 
some food and, you know, cool down a bit. It's pretty hot in the Kimberleys. That's in Western Australia. It's pretty hot at the time of year when the ultra marathon was on. And I was stuck in a, I came into a little gorge. There was six people in the gorge and we could see a fire quickly approaching. Now that was the sound of the trucks. Mm, that was the what fire I, trucks. That, that, was a, that was what I thought, I'll, I'll go back. When I say I thought I heard trucks, it was actually the rumbling of the fire. Mm. Now I don't know if you know of the Venturi effect. Mm-mm. So when hot air is funneled into a smaller space like the gorge, it actually sucks the fire through. It increases the the speed of the fire. Mm. So it's like sucking the air into it. Yeah. Right? So, we're so at the, just... we were at the start of the gorge and we saw the fire. We were like oh shit like what do we do and so we all tried to run um so you just run back the where where you the way you came from or so, how well, this do you is the thing so it's weird it's like trying to understand like how do you get caught up in this thing without being able to run away from it yeah yeah, yeah. well so don't forget that a fire can move at around 100 kilometers an hour mm. so i don't think that even you'd be able to no run away from it and it's also weird because it's it's a day in my life close to six years ago. So my memory is a little bit patchy, but we were running through shoulder high grass, Mm -hmm. dry spin effects. So I thought that would be perfect fuel for the flames. Or the side of the gorge, it was really rocky. There was less vegetation, but I also knew that the speed of fire accelerates going up a hill. Mm -hmm. So you had to make a decision like in the moment, like which way are we gonna go? Yeah, so I chose to run up the hill, run mm-hmm. up the side of the gorge. And you, there were six other people there. there and so did they other, go with you, or we, we? So two of them ran back the way we came from, and they didn't get burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, two guys jumped through the fire. <sighs> yeah, and, uh, and how, what happened to those guys? They got burnt. They weren't as badly burnt. And Kate and I, Kate was the other woman who was badly injured, we got burnt to 65% of our body. Wow. And so you're running up this gorge, right? Yeah. And what it encapsulates you, it just surrounds you all of a just sudden? Or how surrounds it? me. And I just remember looking down at my hands and arms. They were both ablaze. And I just thought, this is it. I'm never going to see Michael again. And now once the fire had passed, I was... So how long, but for how long did that go on for? Yeah, I, I think a couple of seconds, five seconds. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. And do you pass out or no, do you, no, how, no. Do you, how do you get so the, the do you roll on passed, the ground or how did I get the flames out? Yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. Don't know. You go into like a fugue state, right? Like some kind of crazy, total shock. Like right. did that, is this a dream? Did that really just happen? You know? And then I actually got this sense of elation because I was like, I've survived. Like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go to hospital. They'll bandage me up. I'll be back at work on Monday. I was in that semi-delusional mm-hmm. state of mind, which is probably just my body's reaction to try and save my life. Well, yeah, like the adrenaline rush oh, probably. adrenaline and I was just off my head. I had no um, grasp on time or, or space. Right. So we actually were stuck on that hillside for four hours. Wow. Yeah, and that- We, like all six of you? All six of us, mm-hmm. and there were some other competitors as well. Because people coming up from behind are discovering you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So we end up waiting for four hours. A helicopter comes. The helicopter has to balance on one skid. First, they take Kate, and I was like, "Hello, right? I'm here. Like, why? Why aren't you <laughs> taking? Hello, yeah. four hours. That whole ego thing. Why did know? it take so long? They didn't have. They didn't it, know what was going on, or yeah, I think just due to the location. You know, there was no, not very good communication. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there was no mobile phone reception. That type of thing. So, how many people were in this ultra? There was, I think, around fifty people. Yeah, so it wasn't huge. Right. wasn't huge. So when I got picked up in the helicopter, I went to hospital. I said to the doctors and For those, hold on a second though. For those four hours, do you remember, like what were you doing? Like were you alert or were you passed out or do you remember? Like, I mean, that's a long time. It is, but when you don't have a firm grasp on reality, four hours could have been four minutes. It could have been Mm -hmm. 40 minutes. It could have been, well, wouldn't it? Couldn't have been four days, but- you know, I didn't, I had right. no idea. I mean, the survival, you know, instinct must have kicked in pretty powerfully, but there's only so long you can keep that adrenaline yeah. coursing through so your veins I, before you kind of. So I think towards that end of the four hours, I was like starting to pass out. And the people who I was with was, were like, no, Tree, wake up. They would talk to me about work or just something really mundane. and mm-hmm. Just to keep you Just to keep me and, lucid, right. yeah. And I think though, if we, if the helicopter wasn't able to extricate Kate and myself, I don't think we would be here. Right. Yeah. Because we were starting to swell quite badly. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any water, no pain mm. medication. I, I think the helicopter got there just on dark too. Mm. Mm. And I mean, full credit to that helicopter pilot though. He wasn't. A medical helicopter. He was just a normal, just like an average helicopter, a regular dude, right? well, pilot not, guy. Not that helicopter pilots that you know ever average, but he was just. He's not a paramedic, though. He wasn't a paramedic because like he was his a regular bloke. He had a wife at home. He had a six-week-old baby. They're not supposed to balance on one skid, hmm. you know. Right. So he, he he risked his life to save me. Wow. Yeah. So it gets you in. Again, another example of someone doing something completely selfless. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, even when I was trapped by the fire, I was really scared. And I said to one of the blokes who I literally just met in that life and death situation, he had his son there, and he saw that I was upset and he took precious seconds to comfort me. You know, again, yeah, another right. act of total selflessness. Right. That makes made a huge difference. I mean, yeah. I would imagine your life was very much in the balance. I mean, four hours with the extensive, you know, the extent to which you were burned. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean. So we the helicopter landed in a little town of Kananara. I walked from the helicopter into hospital. You walked? I walked. Well, they were they were kind of like stuffing around, like trying to get the ambulance around and in the end, I just thought, stuff this. All right, so you know. I like hopped out of the helicopter and started oh wa- like walking into the hospital. Because in my head, I was fine. Uh-huh. I was going to be back at work in a couple of days. Wow, that's crazy. So I was like, the just, power of denial. Just bandage me up, and you know, I want to go. You know, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And in in the hospital, they weren't really taking my taking me seriously. I was like, can someone call Michael? Like, I need to get out of here. I want to. Get going. Wow, you were really not tapped into what was. No, actually I was happening. adamant that I was out of there. Like, uh-huh. 
And then... Do they have a burn, like a burn unit in no, this hospital? No, so or? the town is really small, Kananara. There's probably about 5,000 people who live there. So they put a needle in me and I woke up a month later in a hospital in Sydney. All right, I got to land this plane. We got one more person who's going to round out part one of the best of 2017. Come on, you guys. It's going to have to be an RRP favorite, maybe the RRP favorite. John Joseph. John Joseph at JJ Cromag on Twitter. Back by popular demand. Good friend. Provocateur at large. This is John's, I think his fifth appearance on the show. And he returned to share a little bit more about his unbelievable story a story that really demonstrates the indelible power of the human spirit to basically face transcend overcome unimaginable seemingly insurmountable obstacles and and ultimately transform one's life wholesale to essentially fully actualize john's got a message for you this whole thing is about helping people it's about getting people to wake up this guy's hardcore He's a survivor. He's a spiritual warrior. He's got one of the biggest hearts of anybody I've ever met. So without further ado, please enjoy this little slice of my conversation with John Joseph. Day one has to come. And day one has to be, like, even after all the crack and everything else, I was still getting high and then, like, you know, started smoking weed again, and then it would turn into doing ecstasy pills in the 90s and all this shit. And then I, I finally said, you know what? I had to face the truth, and the hard truth was that I'm an addict. And, I, you know, I have, an, I have addiction issues, and I needed to have a day one where I could say, from this point on, I'm never going to fucking touch any drugs. I'm going to work on myself every day. You know, the Bad Brains and HR, they were surrounded by a lot of very positive people who were into a lot of metaphysical yoga and philosophy and all that. So I had a good foundation and um, I had to fall back on that and, and just, and from my time living as a Hare Krishna and meditating and getting up, I just had to have that day one where you say, this is the day I'm not going to fucking get high anymore. And then... It's every day you have. To, and I said that to somebody recently. I go, hey, man, I'm an addict. I'm just choosing not to fucking get high today. I'm going to train for this Ironman. I'm going to I'm going to write. I'm going to do everything I need to do so that today, one day at a time, I choose not to get high. I choose to do the right thing. Everything in life is is based upon, it's the choices we make under pressure to find character. That's the whole thing what McKee says in story two. Anybody could act like they got their whole shit together when there's no pressure. When the pressure comes, then you see true characters revealed. And, you know, what kind of story do you want to leave for the world about how, you know, like my whole thing and, and what I've seen and I'm writing this book on PMA now, I mean, you know, uh, is is I hope that my story, like I said at the end of the book reading, I go, look, man, I didn't write this book to get pats on the back, sympathy. Oh, you're so strong. None of that shit. I said I wrote the book and I put my whole story in what well, McKee wrote in my storybook from him that I had him sign it after class, he goes, always write the truth. And that's what I did. And for people that don't know, Robert McKee wrote a book called Story. He's the guy who sort of 
known as the king of you know how to structure a yeah. screenplay and he does these seminars, seminars three a, days i've t- i did yeah, it twice yeah. i took his workshops he was depicted in the movie adaptation quite, yeah. quite comically but actually. i had <laughs> a defining moment with him because i've been utilizing uh what happened to me a- a- as a kid for the main character and then i walked up to him after class and he had his little bantering going back and forth yeah true character you know characterization you see these guys with all the fucking tattoos to their eyeballs really they're just marshmallows and he was talking about me you know he's picking on me dude right so after like i was like the second day i walked up and i was like you know i said mr mckee is f- you know everyone's allowed to ask questions i go as far as like you know, a kid that was uh, abused as a child. He stopped me right there and he goes, child abuse is the cliche of the fucking day. It's like writers use it to try to gain sympathy and empathy for characters that are weak, they're thin, and we can give two shits about them. It's not the abuse, it's what we do as a result of it. That's the fucking story. And I was just like, that was when I was like, I have to put everything into this story. To, I can't leave out, as embarrassing as it was that these motherfuckers put their hands on me like that, I had to tell that story. And um, and, and I said at the and end of the And ultimately, that's, that's the path towards you healing it for yourself. Yeah, it anyway. was, because that's why I always had addiction issues and everything else. It was like these old scars every time somebody did some really grimy shit to me that would, whether it was a relationship ending or my band members robbing me, ratting me out, doing fucking grimy shit, these two clowns in the Cro-Mags, Harley and fucking Paris. And and I considered Harley especially my friend and he just kept stabbing me in the fucking back and I would spiral out of control because it was just ripping those wounds open. Mm And it wasn't until I wrote the entire story and got it off my chest to the world that I was really able to heal. And that's why I wrote that book, because I've gotten thousands and thousands of letters. I correspond with people, emails and fucking all kinds of shit. I just got one today. This dude on Twitter was like, your book helped save my life practically by your example. And example's better than precept. We have to live. It, 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 these days, everybody talks shit. Everyone talks the talk. Who's walking the walk? That's who I look to. Guys like you, guys that, you know, overcame stuff in their own lives and pushed on to, to achieve uh, uh, tremendous things in, in, in the world. I'm not, I don't care. Everybody talks shit out of their ass these days. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking to see, you know, what actions how are people living their lives and that's the example and that's that's what i try to do too is is lead a positive life and show people you know no matter what you can climb out of any hole you know no matter how far in the depths of hell you are and i've been down there i've seen crazy shit mad people murdered in front of me i mean shit nobody should ever have to see but I was willing to like climb out of that and and uh, surround myself by positive people. That's the other thing is the association we keep. Who are you hanging out with? That's it, man. If if you hang out with rogues and thieves, you're going to be a rogue and a thief or a fucking junkie or whatever. It's people, places, and things. I never went to the programs, but a lot of the stuff they say is stuff that I just know to follow. People, places, and things, you know, uh, you know, t- just I- I'm an addict. I'm choosing not to get high today. 
you know, and the higher power and all that. I, I utilize all the stuff except, you know, it's like with training. I do it. That's part of my therapy, too. Mm -hmm. I'm not a great Iron Man, uh, but I don't do it to, 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 you know, to brag or anything else. I just do it because it's part of my discipline in my life. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed part one of our look in the rear view. Part two with a bunch more awesome excerpted conversations is going to go up later in the week on Sunday night, December 31st, New Year's Eve to be exact, because, hey, man, I never get a day off. I'll work on New Year's Eve. I don't care. If you want to support this show and my work, share it with your friends and on social media. If you're home with your family, sit around that dinner table. Talk to them about the RRP. What else are you going to talk about? Always subscribe, hit that subscribe button, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We have a Patreon set up for people who want to support my work financially. Thank you, everybody who has done that. We had a great AMA the other day. I'm going to set up another one for the following month for January pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. Exclusive content for Patreon supporters only. Again, we're offering 20% off our Plant Power Meal Planner with the promo code POWER20. This is an insane deal. For just $80 a year, you will be supported for 365 days with thousands of plant-based personalized recipes, expert food coaches available seven days a week, handy grocery lists, and even grocery delivery in 80 U.S. markets. It is amazing. It is an incredible deal, and it's only available through midnight January 6th. And again, this is something we're not likely to do again. So you're going to have to jump on it right away. To do that, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the upper right-hand corner at richroll.com and use the promo code POWER20, POWER20 at checkout for $20 off the annual membership fee. Again, that's meals.richroll.com, promo code POWER20 at checkout. I want to thank everybody who helped put on this show, not just this show, but over the course of this entire year. Jason Camiello for audio engineering production and interstitial music. Sean Patterson for help on graphics. Theme music, as always, by Analemma. I want to thank Moby for allowing us to use some of his gratis music for our interstitial music over the course of the year. Uh, David Zamet, who helped out uh, for a couple months with photo portraits and video. Uh, who else has worked on this show? So many people. Thanks for the love, you guys. I will see you back here in a few days. Seasons greetings. Happy holidays. Merry, merry. Peace, plants, grace, love. Namaste. Yeah.